Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. You ever, I'm a, I'm a movie person, and I, I know that there's a lot of movies out there we shouldn't watch, and so, and maybe TV in general is something we should limit ourselves to, and I'm, I'm working on that one, but have you ever watched a movie, and the very first minute or two of the movie, you're kind of wondering what's going on, because what, what they're doing is they're showing you the end of the movie. They're kind of showing you, they're, they're kind of fast forward to the end of the movie, there's some foreshadowing. this is what's going to happen, and it doesn't really make a lot of sense, because you haven't seen the movie yet. And why do they do that? Because then when they go back and they start at the beginning, you understand that everything that's happening in the movie is pointing to that. It gives context to what the movie now is about and where it's heading and what's going, what the purpose of the theme of the movie may be. Now, they may not give away all the details in the end. They don't want to spoil it at the end. But, but there's this picture of where it's going. So today, if you're wondering why we're celebrating Advent, but yet we're reading something about the second coming of Christ, shouldn't we be talking about the birth? Isn't that what Christmas is about? The birth of Christ, his coming, and, and all the things that, that come with that, the joy, the hope, the, all of that, the peace that he brings? Yes. But it's important for us to understand the birth in the context of the end of the story. And so today, we're going to look at the end of the story so that over the next four weeks, we can look at the story and where it's going and why he came. Because without understanding the significance of why he came, we won't truly appreciate Christmas the way I think that God wants us to and the way I think that you want to. So, this word Advent. This, in the Latin, it's Adventus. Coming. His appearance, right? Um, in the Greek, it's Perouza. Uh, if you study scripture and if you're a, an eschatology person, you've heard that word a lot in the Greek. Perouza is his second coming. A lot of, it's the Perouza, the, the Christ's return, right? And in general, these, these words mean just the appearing or the, the coming of the Messiah. And we can really look at this in three different ways um, when we think about Advent and his coming. There is obviously what we're going to celebrate here at Christmas, the coming of as a baby in the manger. And we celebrate that and all the things that that brings, the hope and the joy and the peace that, that that makes available to us. But there's other advents, this idea of the coming. The first time, or the, the, I shouldn't say the first time, when you received Christ, it was the advent of his coming into your heart. Right? He, he came, he appeared, his presence is now living in you in the Holy Spirit, the Perusa is coming. And then there's the second coming, when Christ will come, no, not, not as a baby, but as a king, as a ruler, as a, as a God who will come and make things right, who will wipe away all sin, he will judge all sin, he will bring those that have come to know him to his presence for eternity, he will, he will give them um, 
the full uh, measure of salvation. Yes, we are justified in Christ now, but we, we really are not fully saved until that day of glorification, that day that he comes and makes it all right and our names are officially there, written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and we come home. And so today, we're going to look at that one. So that the next three or four weeks, we can say this is where we're going. And this is why it's important to celebrate the birth. This is why it's important to be in the scripture. That's why it's important to, to celebrate his coming into the world. It's important to celebrate and hopefully desire and pray that he will come into your heart and to make his home in there. And maybe today that's not true for you. Maybe you're here and you don't have a, you've not been born again. Christ has not um, changed you and transformed you from the inside out. And so maybe today when you understand the end, you'll look different about how you're going to live your life and what you're going to pray for and what you're gonna, how you want to trust God to come in and to change you. And so this idea of, of looking at the end first you know, I think about that. We celebrate Christmas. We, we spend, um, even in the church, we're going to spend four weeks celebrating Christmas and the birth. It's right. It's, it's good. And, and it's beautiful. And we, this great season of, of giving and all of this, the joy and the happiness that comes. And I realize that's, that's not true necessarily for everyone. There's people that live in very hard, diff, difficult circumstances around the holidays. And, and, and so I, I understand that that's not true necessarily for everyone. But, but the joy that Christ brings is present there. And then we spend a lot of time celebrating Easter. Obviously, the death and resurrection of Christ is a, is a foundational moment in history. It's the pinnacle of history uh, that he, he dies for us. He comes and he lives a sinless life and he dies for us and he's resurrected and eternal life becomes possible in Christ. What a, what a beautiful, beautiful thing. How often, though, do we talk about his return? Not very often. Now, I'll, I'll take responsibility of that as one of the pastors here. We just don't, we don't talk about that. And, and I really have a, a few thoughts just quickly about why we don't talk about that. One, it's, it's a future event. And so it's, it's hard to talk about something that hasn't happened yet, right? We, we can talk about it, but we're always celebrating past events. We, we celebrate the birth, we, your birthday. We celebrate birthdays. We celebrate anniversaries. We celebrate all of those type of things. It's easy to celebrate what was in the past, what's happened. We can give thanks to what's happened. We had just Thanksgiving on Thursday. We, we celebrated the, the, the faithfulness of those who came to the United States and how they honored God for how God provided for them. And, and we celebrate what we're thankful for. But yet, the second coming is something that we don't spend a lot of time talking about. Maybe one of those reasons is, is that we're not ready to go. I mean, maybe we're not spiritually ready to go. Maybe we're not ready to go because we don't want to let go of this life, right? If God says, I'm going to come and, and I'm going to bring all people to me, and, and some of us in our minds even subconsciously say, well, I, I don't want to go. I really like my life. I, I, I just had children. I, I have dreams. I have hopes. I have all of these things, and I want to make all these things happen. I'm, I'm going to college, and, and I have a career ahead of me, and I don't want Jesus to come right now. I'm like, whoa, I, I we need to check our heart right there. I mean, well, what are we saying? Is that this life is better? Contrary to what some authors would say, this is not your best life now. Right? Our best life is to come. Maybe it's because, and I get this one, 
We don't want Christ to come because we know some people aren't spiritually ready. And so we don't want him to come yet. And I find it interesting because I see this in me. I have people in my life that aren't ready and I don't want him to come yet, but am I doing anything to make a difference there? Am I stepping out, as Dave said, and having that conversation? Am I sharing the gospel? Because I don't want him to come because I'm saying that there are people that are not ready yet. I've acknowledged them in my heart and I think about them and, and maybe I even pray for them and, and maybe that's something that we all need to work on too is praying for those people in our lives that, that have not come to know Christ yet. Pray that God will come and save them and make them a new creation in Christ Jesus. I mean, who has the power to do that? Who is the one that gives salvation? God. And so we should ask him to do that to those that have not been born again yet. But you know, this idea of, of waiting for his return is celebrated frequently, and we probably need to do a better job of pointing this out, in communion. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26 says, For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See, because we're proclaiming his death and resurrection until he comes, because once he comes, it's glory on, right? We, we don't need to proclaim his death anymore. He will fulfill all things. We will be glorified. He will bring glory and we will live with him forever and ever and we will not be thinking about that he had to suffer and die for us. And so even in our communion, we're looking forward to the parousia, to the second coming. That was the whole point of he's saying, look, we're going to proclaim this thing. He came to die. Why? So that he can come again. So that, so that he can come and make it all right. He will, he will come as a king. He will come as rule. He will no longer come as a baby and someone who's willingly going to be the lamb that lays down his life as we've just spent six months in Hebrews talking about, that he is the perfect sacrifice. So what's the big idea for this morning? Jesus came first as a baby, but is coming back as a king. Jesus came first as a baby, and we will celebrate that. That is right and good, but he's coming back as a king, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. So here in Matthew 24, verses 36 through 44, we're just going to take a snippet of Matthew 24. I would encourage you to go back and read it. There's a lot here about the second coming of Christ. We're not going to dive into all of that, but, but I want to kind of set it up a little bit. And so here he's, he's with his disciples. He's been to the temple. Jesus has been to the temple. It's, it's very close to the end of his life. He's going to get crucified here in a short time. And so they've just left the temple. And, and as they're leaving, we don't know exactly what is said, but the disciples make some type of comment about the, the temple itself and how it looks and how it's adorned and the buildings and all of those things. And, and I'm sure it was, it was a grand thing, right? And so they made some type of comment to him. But in Matthew 24, verse 2, this is how Jesus answers and responds to them. But he answered them. You see all these, do you not? He's talking about the buildings and the things. Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. What's he referring to? He's talking about the destruction of the temple that we're going to see later in Scripture. It's going to happen in 70 A.D., about 30, 40 years from the time he is saying this. 
He goes on in 24 verse 3. As he sat down on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? See, they already understood that he was coming back. What will be the sign of your coming? Like they, they knew that there was conversations. He had to die and he would come back. And, and we don't, I'm not going to go to all of those passages that point to that, but, but we will look at some. And so today we're going to look at about five things here in his second coming, his return, that I think we're going to draw out of this scripture. The first one is Jesus' return has always been part of the Father's plan. Jesus' return was always part of the Father's plan. But before creation, before time began, he, he knew that he was going to send his son to create all things through him, 1 John 1. He knew that, that he would die, he would, he would suffer for us, he would live a sinless life and die and be resurrected, and that one day he would come again. Because why? Because all of this, and I know this is hard for us to, to get our mind around, all of this, all of creation, all of it, Christ's coming is all for God's glory. All of it. God didn't gamble. He didn't say, well, I hope this is going to work out, and maybe if this doesn't work out, I'll have to send my son, and he'll have to die to redeem him. No, he knew Adam and Eve were going to sin. He knew that Jesus was going to come and die. He knew that, though, that at the end, that he would send his son as a king, and that we would worship him forever and ever and ever, because he loved us to the point that he died for us. And God and his son get all the glory. Jesus' return has always been part of the Father's plan. Let's look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, the first part of our text today. But concerning that day, right? I want you to underline that. That day, the hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Right? That day. Concerning that day, Jesus is looking at a time, a specific time, a day, an hour that he will return. And so how do we, how do we know that that's, this is Jesus talking now? He's, he's acknowledging this. I want to take you a couple other places here in the, the New Testament and point out. We can go to the Old Testament too and, and point out that they, they knew that Christ was returning. They knew that that was part of the plan. If we just jump back a little bit in Matthew chapter 16, verse 27, it says, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in glory of his Father, and he will repay each person according to what he has done. In Hebrews chapter 28, which we've just got done studying, the author there says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting him. I would ask you to underline eagerly awaiting him. Are you eagerly awaiting his coming. He's not coming to deal with sin. That's been dealt with. He's died. He's, he's nailed our sin to the cross. He suffered. He died for it. He took the wrath of God. He became the propitiation for us. But he's going to come a second time to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. So it's not enough that, that obviously Jesus is saying it here and the author of Hebrews is saying it here. But let's look at the, the gospel writer John in John chapter 14 verses 1 through 3. This is a, a passage that many times that a pastor, you'll hear at a, a funeral or some type of, of service for someone who's passed away. It says, let your hearts not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, 
what I have told you that I was going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. So here again, Jesus in the Gospel of John is saying, look, I'm telling you there's a place. I've prepared a place for you. And I'm coming again to get you. I will be back. Paul says it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command and the voice of an archangel and with the sound of a trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and then he who, we, who, who are alive are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So it's all through the New Testament. In fact, and this is why I think it's sad that we probably don't talk about it and celebrate what's going to happen as much as we celebrate what has happened. We need to look forward to where we're going, what's going to happen, what the Lord's plan is unveiling to us. So Jesus' return has always been part of the Father's plan. Then it also says in that passage in 36, it says, But concerning that day, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. What can I tell you about that? That's a mystery. I can't answer that one. Because you're saying, well, how can the Son not know, but the Son is fully God, and God the Father is the only one that knows? Because Jesus said the Father is the only one that knows. That's why. Right? You, You... I wouldn't even spend any time trying to make something up, trying to connect those dots some way. It's a little bit like the Trinity. There's some things that we just say, it's above my pay grade. It's something that my feudal mind cannot comprehend, an eternal God and the the things that he's doing and some of the plans that he's laid out. I can't get that one. And you say, well, pastor, that's a cop-out. No, that's faith. That's not a cop-out. That's because I can't put God in a box. Isn't that the way it should be? I mean, can you imagine? No, I understand everything about God. (laughs) Then you would be God. And you're not, and I'm not. Some things we come to the text and just just let it overwhelm us and say, okay, that's amazing. That's glorious. All right, second thing I want to show you here in the text. Jesus' return will take most people by surprise. Now, I hope that's not true for all of us. Jesus' return will take most people by surprise. You say, well, yeah, but I I think, you know, I'll know because, no, I'm, I'm hoping we'll know that it's soon. But, you know, here's the thing, and this is, this is a bit of a mystery as well. Here's the thing. The disciples thought he was coming in their lifetime, that he was going to return. I remember when I was 16 years old, and uh, I remember, uh, and I know for some of you you're thinking, you can't remember back that far, but I can. Um, I remember exactly where I was standing in, in our house on 6813 Morrow Drive in Inglewood. I remember the color of the carpet, the cupboards, and I remember my Uncle Harvey was there. He was a, he was a I love you, Uncle Harvey. He was an odd kind of guy, right? Just, just a different kind of guy. And I remember him opening the cupboard door and pulling out a, a cereal box. And he pointed to the barcode. They were fairly new 41 years ago. And he said, it's over. There it is, right? That was 41 years ago. Jesus hasn't come yet, has he, right? 
I remember when I was 18, 17, 18 years old, I was, um, by God's grace, I was listening to a lot of bad theology on Christian TV, um, but, but, but God protected me from all of that in some respects, but I listened to a lot of prophetic teachers at that time, right? Um, and, and they were all like, he's coming, he's coming, and yes, he is. They didn't give dates, I will say, they didn't give dates, but they would have thought that he's coming tomorrow. Now, one thing I will tell you, that's a good thing that to think that way. But, but we don't know. No one knows, right? That's, that's what Jesus says. No one knows, not even me. Jesus, I don't, I don't even know, right? But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be looking for it. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be ready for it. And that's what Jesus is going to go on to say here in this text. Because it's going to take most people by surprise. If you, if you, if you think about that just for a second, if you just... I just, I just think this way. I know I said this probably a year or so ago. Sometimes when I go to big um, public places like Kroger's, well, I was in Kroger's on Tuesday. Don't go there Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Um, or don't let your wife be sick before Thanksgiving. Now, maybe that's the issue, right? So you don't have to go. Maybe she'll go with me. She'll help me find everything. But there's a sea of people. And I know this is a heavy burden sometimes, but sometimes I go to those places and I think, who in this building knows Jesus? Not just knows Jesus, has been born again. Who has Christ in them? Right? Who has the presence of Christ in them? And boy, if they could light up green so that I would know, wouldn't that be cool? And then who has heard the gospel has rejected it? And they would light up red. Who's never heard the gospel? They would light up yellow. Do you think most people would be green? I don't think so. I don't think so. Because the scripture says, wide is the gate and many will go that way. Few find the narrow way to life. Most people are going to be caught by surprise. What probably saddens me even more is my concern is that many in the church, the established church, will be caught by surprise. Now, I'm not, I think some will think they're saved and they're not. Some of you today, I'm going to be very clear, some of you may think you're saved because you've been attending church your whole life. You, you grew up in the church, your parents, you got baptized at five, whatever, and you're not. And you say, well, pastor, how can you say that? I'm just saying, that's just, I think when you just look at the numbers and the statistics and you, you interview people, you talk to people, I've talked to people that say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian and I, I have a conversation with them and there's no evidence at all that they have a personal relationship with Christ whatsoever, that they've ever been born again. So the people even in the church, I think, will be caught by surprise. So let's go on here in the text. Matthew 24, verses 37 through the first part of 38. Jesus says, as for the days, as for were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as the, in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. So what is Jesus saying here? He's starting, a, he's painting a picture for them. They all understand what took place in the flood. They understand, the, the Old Testament, the Genesis, the Torah was, was clear what happened and, and that 
evil was throughout the world, right? And that, that God establishes this one family to be saved and puts them in the ark, which is the picture of Christ here, right? He puts them in the ark. He shelters them from the wrath to come. They understood what that was. And now Jesus is saying, as in the days of Noah, there's going to be people eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. What's he saying there? What's, what's that mean? What's he I think what he's really trying to say is, look, it's going to be an average day. You're just going to be living out your day. You're going to be getting up. Your alarm clock's going to go off. You're going to have your breakfast. You're going to go to work. You're going to do your thing. You're going to come home. You're going to go to soccer practice or band, band, whatever it may be. You're just going to be living your life. It's an ordinary day. And Christ is going to come. And you're going to think, no, there was supposed to be something that was supposed to let me know it was today. Like somebody needed to tell me that it was today because I would have got ready. No, Jesus is saying, look, if you love me, you'll be ready all the time. You won't be just living out your life for yourself and then, oh, okay, now's up. I have to get myself right. Jesus is painting the picture and saying, no, as the days of Noah, it won't be like that. You say, well, some commentators and some theologians will kind of debate this a little bit and they'll say, well, okay, that's kind of hard because if it says it'll just be normal every day, but then here in this text earlier, Jesus is kind of pointing out that there'll be earthquakes and, and famines and, and wars and rumors of wars and all of this, and, and so it won't be an ordinary day. What do you think about that? Isn't there earthquakes and famines and things right now? Hundreds of thousands of people die from famine all over the world. There's wars everywhere, mass casualties I mean, we just look at Ukraine and what is happening. And who knows what winter is going to bring for those people in Ukraine. No heat, no electricity. We have no idea what the casualties could be. Several years ago, Sudan, Darfur, all those people dying of starvation. Kenya, even here in the United States. People died of COVID. We lost people in our congregation. But yet, doesn't it feel like a normal, ordinary day? Yes. Because we, we just get accustomed to what's happening in the world. Right? I mean, who knew that in 1950 that we would be able to watch things on TV and have a cell phone to see things that are absolutely inappropriate? But yet today, 70 years later, it's a normal, everyday thing. And we take it that way. And so this idea that the, the text doesn't is not congruent with each other is not true. It is. It's just that we've been taken along, we've been, we've been conditioned to this place that we're okay with sin, we're okay with depravity, and it's just okay, and it's an ordinary day. Jesus' return will take most people by surprise. So I have a question for you. When was the last time you thought about Jesus' return? And when it might be? I don't mean a day. I mean, are you thinking about like, wow, it could be today, before the end of the service? He could, is there any reason that he couldn't come today? No. I see no reason in Scripture at all that he couldn't come today. And first of all, God can do whatever he wants, regardless of what I think, right? Is there any reason that Christ could not come today, this afternoon? It's an ordinary day. 
all of the things that are there, the earthquakes, the rumors of war, the famine, it's all there. Luke writes it this way in verse 21, or chapter 21, verse 34, as he's Jesus here, he's recounting Jesus' conversation about the same thing. The synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, all talk about this conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples here. And in verse 34 of chapter 21, Luke, it says, Jesus says, But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and, and the cares of life. And what? And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. Not a positive thing he's speaking here for those people that aren't ready, right? Watch yourselves. We saw this in Hebrews. Guard your heart. Watch yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation. That word has a couple different meanings, but basically it's, it's other activities, other things. It can even lead to the activities of drunkenness and, and those type of things. And that's why he kind of puts it here. It's dissipation, this other things in our lives that weigh us all the things that get our attention and drunkenness and the cares of life and that day come upon you suddenly suddenly no time for preparation no time for saying okay can I can I figure something out yet do I have a moment to, to kind of ask forgiveness of my sins and, and to see really what this what this life means to follow Jesus do I have a moment to do that no no you do not you had time the gospel has been made available to you. In this room, the gospel has been made available to you. If you. Unless it's your first time here and now you're hearing the gospel, you'll hear it today. You've had an opportunity. You say, what about the person? They're not here. Like, that's between God and them. You've heard the gospel. You've heard it multiple times. We are not perfect in our preaching, but we are definitely sharing the gospel. What's the next thing we see here? Jesus' return brings eternal consequences. It brings eternal consequences. Now, when I say it brings eternal consequences, consequences are not only a bad thing, they're a good thing. So it brings eternal consequences. So when that day comes, there will be consequences based on what, where you are at. Have you been born again or have you rejected Christ? Eternal consequences. One has eternal consequences of life forever with the king and with God in glory and a new heaven and a new earth. That's an eternal consequence of your belief, of your believing. There's another eternal consequence that says, no, there's a life totally separated from God in a place called hell that is filled with torment. And, I mean, can you imagine knowing that you missed it can you imagine all knowing at that moment that you missed all the goodness, all the glory of God, and you can see it clearly now, and it has penetrated your heart and your mind? That would be a miserable eternal existence. I just think sometimes I get frustrated when one thing I miss, and I wish I could go back and do something mundane in my life, let alone seeing something that I'm missing for eternity that is the best, beautiful, glorious thing in all of time and history. Can you imagine what that must be like to say, I turned that down and I can't get back to make a different decision? I can't. 
Jesus' return brings eternal consequences. Here in verse second part of 38 and 39, what does he say? Jesus goes on there and says, Until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. They didn't get it until the, until the wrath came. Because they were asleep. That's what he's going to go on there to say here. He's going to make this analogy that we're asleep, right? Until the flood came, and, and, to, and then it was too late. There was no getting into the ark. There was no salvation available. It had been available for years for them. I have to find it interesting that the flood, best estimates are around 1,650 years after creation. And in 1,650 years, all but one family had walked away from God. Think about that. There could have been hundreds of thousands of people, millions. We don't know. We know a lot. They all walked away from God. You think, how is that possible? I just look at Christ came. Look at our world today. People are walking away from the truth. Even people who've, who've made professions, I don't think have been born again, are walking away. Whole denominations are moving away from biblical truth. Whole denominations. Churches are splitting because they're deciding to, to do what they want, what feels good, and, and they're walking away from the loving, gracious truth of God. And so it, it doesn't surprise me that in 1,600 years there'd only be one family left. Only by the grace of God and his call and work in our heart is the church even in existence today. He holds the church. He calls a people for himself. Because see, the other way he wasn't doing that, and obviously, look what was happening. Men, humanity, left her own desires. Leave him. Verse 40 and 41, Jesus goes on there and says this. He says, then two men will be in the field, and one will be taken, and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, and one will be taken, and one will be left. He's just painting this, this stark contrast. There's two paths. One will be taken, one won't. That's it. One will go, and one won't. There's, there's no third option here. There's no time then to say, well, you're going to go to a place um, called purgatory and work that out and then be able to give another opportunity. No, one will be taken, one will be left. There will be a separation of sheep and the goats, Jesus says in other places in Matthew. One on my right and one on my left. Third thing, maybe fourth thing here. Jesus gives us a warning regarding his return. I think that we've already kind of talked about that a little bit, but he goes on here. Jesus gives a warning regarding his return. See, he, th this is the other thing, and I've said this before. We won't be able to stand before, heaven, before God in heaven or before God at whenever that is the, and, and say, well, I, I didn't know. You know, like I just, I, I didn't know, right? He's, he's telling us in Scripture. It's, it's all over Scripture. And, and most people won't get it because we're not in Scripture. We're not reading the truth of God. We're not, we've, we've discounted it because it's an ancient book. It's, it's been written by men and women for thousands of years. It's been over-translated and retranslated. And the fact is none of that is true, really. It's all come from the original text. When, when, when this ESV Bible was translated, it was translated from the original text. It wasn't translated from the King James. 
It wasn't translated from, from the NIV. It was going back to the original text and translated. In fact, today we have a, a better full picture of the Word of God than we ever have. Because more scrolls have been found, the Dead Sea Scrolls, and there's more evidence to support it. And for every little thing that we've just, it's the best place to be alive as far as having the most detailed and accurate view of Scripture. So he gives us a warning regarding his return. What's he say in Matthew 42? He says, therefore, stay awake. That's an imperative. It's, it's a command. Therefore, stay awake. Right? Now, this is a, he's not talking about like literally stay awake like he was with his disciples there in the Garden of Gethsemane when they kept falling asleep. Like, stay awake. Right? I'm praying for me. Stay awake. No, he's saying stay spiritually awake. Yes, you can sleep, but stay awake spiritually. Do not devolve into apathy and, and worldly things and live your life worldly. Stay spiritually awake. How do you do that? You, you, you stay in the scripture. You stay in fellowship with believers. You stay in the body of Christ in, in worship and in, in community. You join a Bible study. You join a D group. You, you join a life group, whatever it takes. You set up devotional time. You have a you work on your prayer life. You say, well, Pastor, that's hard. Yeah, I know. Me too. It's hard. Do you think that Jesus dying was easy? Was there, was there no suffering for the purposes of God? The disciples, did they not suffer for the, for the glory and the purposes and the plan of God? So to say, well, it's hard. Yes, it is. But it is also the most beautiful, glorious thing that you can ever do, and it'll be the most rewarding thing you'll ever pursue. And so don't, don't be defeated. God is there. He will be our helper. He is there in our times of need. And once again, where is our joy rooted? Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Stay awake. Paul says it this way in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6. So then let us not sleep, as he tells them in his letter. But let us keep awake and be sober. It means be, be sober-minded, be, be, not, be not confused, be not... By, whether that's, whether that's with alcohol or just the, the influence, the intoxication of the world, of, of the world ways, right? We get so intoxicated by the world and, and social media. There's so much that we're just being intoxicated. We need to stay sober. We need to, we need to have a, we need to dry out from some of that stuff. We need to set those things aside. I just had a conversation before the over in the pastor's corner about social media and the control phones have us on. See, we, we're never alone with God. Why is that? Because at every moment, we have a screen in front of us. We never have to be alone with our thoughts. We never have to think about life and, and is God real because the, the phone is always telling us what to think and where to go and, and look at your screen time. And it could be the TV. That's my issue. Mine's not my phone. And, I, and so I'm, I'm not... I'm not trying to say, oh, it's all the phone. No, it's, it's media, it's social media, it's, it's TV, it's, it's all of those devices that keep us something in front of us. And now what are we talking about doing? We're talking about we want to go to the metaverse so that everything can be right here. It's always an illusion for us. 
don't get me wrong. Is it, is it cool probably to put something on? and see? Yeah, it's cool. But do you think where we're going? Do you think we'd be here today, 20, 30, 40 years ago? Can you imagine where we'll be in 20, 30 years if the Lord tarries? Question. What if you knew Jesus was coming back in the next five years? What would happen? How would you live? Something to ponder. Matthew chapter 24, verse 43. He goes on there, but know this. Now he's just giving, he's he's telling them a story to help frame it up for him. Because it's so important. He's going and approaching this multiple different ways. Why? Because it's so important that they understand this. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house to be broken into. He's just painting a picture for him. Peter puts it this way in 2 Peter 2, or 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. He's just tapping into that same thought there that the thief is going to come, right? And we know in Scripture that, that Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. To, to steal our... our our devotional time, to steal our attention away. To deceive us. Fifth thing, Jesus tells us to always be ready for his return. Uh, Originally I had just, Jesus tells us to be ready for his return. That would have been sufficient. But I just wanted to put the way, always be ready. Always. Always. It goes on there in chapter 24, verse 44. It says, therefore, you must also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. It's like three times he said this, right? You will not expect it. You will not expect it. I think he's trying to convey something. That he, we will not expect it. And so be ready. You have to really put your mind to this and, and, and be, invest yourself in, in a relationship with Christ and in, in the community of Christ so that you will not drift off. All right, I'm going to give you a takeaway. Now, don't get too excited. I have a few things here, so don't be closing your Bibles up real quick and say, oh, we're at the takeaway. We're done. I'm good. I can go, right? I have six minutes left. And if you're on my time, I have 15 minutes left, so. <laughs> takeaway. So when I, when I looked at this passage and I just read it and I just prayed through it, I just, what, what's the takeaway here for me? As we prepare to celebrate Jesus' birth, our hearts should be longing for his return. Can we, can we do both of those things? Yes, we can. So like as we, as we push into this Christmas season and when we celebrate the birth of Christ and all the beauty and the glory that comes with that, can we also be longing for his return? Can our hearts be longing for that? You say, yeah, but no, your hearts long for it. You say, yeah, but there's people in my life that aren't saved yet. Yeah, I know. You need to be praying for them. You need to be having conversations with them. You can do two things at once. You know, I can be thinking about something up here and be preaching. I can be praying for someone that I'm seeing in the congregation and still be preaching. You can long for Christ's return and be praying and evangelizing your friend, your family, your brother, your sister, your mom, your spouse your neighbor. You can be doing both of those things. Because I will tell you that the Lord is coming 
on his time, whether you say not yet or not. He's coming in an appointed time. That hour is coming. I don't know when that hour is. I don't know if it's today or if it's 100 years from now. I don't think it's going to be 100 years from now. I'm not, obviously, I'm not going to set a date, but it's coming soon. And I will tell you, it's sooner than it was 10 minutes ago. And that's really the way Scripture puts it. And we laugh about that kind of thing, but it is, that is true. We are closer right now than we were a half hour ago. So, as we prepare to celebrate Jesus' birth, our hearts should be longing for his return. Paul kind of puts it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, I'm, a, I'm awaiting, right? He's talking about the resurrection there in this passage in Philippians, that he longs for the resurrection, the new body, the resurrection of the dead. That's what he's straining for. That's what he wants, right? And that comes with the second coming and ultimately our citizenship in heaven. Paul puts it this way in 2 Timothy verse four through four, chapter 4, verse 8. Henceforth, there be laid up for me. Now he's talking to Timothy. He's talking about himself, right? He says, henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Now Paul is not bragging here. He's saying, look, Christ has given me a righteousness not of my own. I was, I was killing people. I was wanting people dead, Christians dead. I'm a I'm a wretched man, Romans chapter 7. He says, oh, what a wretched man that am I. So when he says, I have a crown of righteousness, he's not saying, man, I've been good and I deserve this. He's saying, no, that God has been gracious and merciful. And because of his death and resurrection and his grace, he's given me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on what? That day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Are you waiting? Are you longing for his appearing? Do you sit and meditate? What if today was the day? What a glorious thing. Another question for you. Are you ready? Are you ready for his return? It's really what, when you leave here today, that's what I want you to wrestle with. Are you ready? Have you been born again? Have, have you, are you longing for Christ's return? You say, well, I haven't really thought about it. Well, okay, you need to be thinking about it. Because it's one of the ways our heart gets sanctified. Is that when we understand what is the most precious thing in our life. When, Jesus, when God says in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt have no other gods before me. What is he saying? The desire of your heart should be me. So if there's something bigger and more prominent in your life than seeing Christ return, that's a place where we don't want to be. Now, I'm not saying that means that we're not saved. Don't hear that. I'm saying that we're constantly wrestling in the flesh. And it's this part of our sanctification process. But we should wrestle. We should wrestle. We should rest in the grace and the glory of God, yes, in our salvation and what God has done. He's justified us. But we should always try to be put to death the things of the flesh. And so are you ready? And so I'll just, 1 John, the gospel writer John in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, says, and now, little children, so this idea about being ready. So here John is addressing what, it's gonna, what we need to be doing to be ready, 
right? I could have went lots of places. I just want to give you one scripture. And now, little children, abide in him. Abide in Christ. Why? So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. John is just saying, abide in him. You want to be ready? Immerse yourself in Christ. Have Deepen your, your relationship with him. Be in the word. Be in the text. Talk about him. Pray. Meditate on, on the mysteries of the scriptures. Last question. How would you live differently if you, differently if you knew that Jesus was coming back in 2023? I mean, really, if you just knew. He's coming back. How would you live differently? What would you change in your life today? Maybe some of you would say, nothing. I'm, I'm loving Jesus. I'm good for you. Right? Praise the Lord. And, and this is not, I'm not trying to guilt anybody. I'm just trying to get us perspective. We rest in the grace of God. We are not going to be perfect. God is not asking us to be perfect. He's not asking us to be sinless. He's asking us to pursue a holiness. Only in glorification will we achieve perfect sanctification, which we call glorification. But we should be pursuing it. Our hearts should be set on it. And if it's not, that's a red flag. That's a, definitely a red flag. All right. Next step for you. Help people be ready by sharing the gospel. If it's this significant event, and we know that there's going to be a day, and that some will be taken and some will be left, and we know that that day is coming, and it could come today, what do we do with that? You say, well, I'm ready. Good. Great. Now take that to somebody else. Take the truth of the gospel. You say, yeah, I don't, I don't really know how to do that. Do you, if you have a relationship with Christ, you know how to do it. You know what he's done in your heart. You know he's transformed you from the inside out. You have a joy that is beyond understanding. Share that joy. You don't need to be a theologian. Now, I would encourage you to study scripture and, and get some passages and memorize them and, and do that. They're not a project. You can't save anyone. You're responsible to share the good news. So do your part and share the gospel. What is the gospel? That God sent his son, became a man, which we're going to celebrate at Christmas, to save sinners by living a sinless life, willingly dying for us on a cross, brutally. And because he was sinless, death could not hold him. And he rose from the grave and he basically says, if you will trust me with your life and, and just trust me with all things, I will give you eternal life. I will die for you. I will take your sin and I will give you my righteousness. It's that simple. And we just have to share that truth and trust that the Holy Spirit will do what only he can do in the lives and hearts of somebody. I'm going to leave you with this passage and we'll, we'll pray. Romans chapter 13, verse 11 through 14. This is a little bit like a, not quite a doxology because it's not a prayer, but Paul says this, besides you know the time, the hour has come for you to awake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than we were when we first believed. 
He's not saying they're not saved. He said they've been justified, but ultimate salvation, glorification is what he's talking about here, is closer than we first were justified when we first believed. For salvation is nearer to us now than we first believed. So even here, he's, he's telling them that, that we're, we're closer now than we first believed. It's been 2,000 years. I think we're a heck of a lot closer now, folks. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or in drunkenness, not in sexual morality or sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Are you ready? Are you sharing the gospel with those around you? As we celebrate the birth of Christ this season, I pray that you will also be longing for the coming of our King. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your coming. We thank you for the coming in a baby, as a man, to live and die for us. We, we thank you for the coming into our hearts as believers and taking residence in our hearts and transforming us. And Father, we are thanking you in advance for the day that you will come and you will call us home and you will make a new heaven and a new earth. And so Lord, today, we praise you for your coming. For the parousia. Father, may that truth overwhelm us this morning. May it be the dominant thoughts in our minds that the reality of the resurrection, the reality of the transformed heart, the reality of the birth, the reality of the second coming are paramount in our minds because it will direct our thoughts and our actions and how we live and we will walk in the light if we will keep our minds set upon those things. And we will not gratify the desires of our flesh. Father, I pray that today your word will not return void. Today I pray that your coming will be true in someone's heart here and that you will take residence in their heart today and they will become a new creation in Christ. Father, we praise you and we look forward, we long for your coming. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at theridgechurch.net. Have a blessed day.